Amen. Thank you, guys. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. If you don't have one with you, the words will be on the screen, but it'd be great to follow along with me in Psalm 42. Many of you have probably heard of the name Charles Spurgeon before. Uh, He was a pastor that lived in England in the 1800s and is today considered by many to be the greatest preacher that has ever lived. He also started an orphanage that's still in operation today and a pastor's college that is still in operation today. And he worked against the evils of slavery during his time. And this huge historical figure, this, this giant of the faith that is admired by people still today, a man that preached nearly 3,600 sermons in his lifetime, often preaching 10 times a week, he once said this, to his congregation. I am the subject of depression so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. Now, Charles Spurgeon was a Christian we can trust, a sinner set free from sin and filled with the Holy Spirit, but he still experienced this fearful and extreme depth of what we will call this morning spiritual depression. Well, what is spiritual depression? Well, simply put, spiritual depression is feeling distant from God. It's experiencing a spiritual emptiness or dryness that makes us feel as if God is absent. No doubt many of us in this room have experienced this and maybe experienced that right now. But no matter your current condition, whether you currently feel spiritually depressed, you have been recently, we can trust this from Psalm 42, that As Christians, we will inevitably experience spiritual depression until we go to be with the Lord. But we often wonder, how how, how can we as a Christian truly experience spiritual depression? And especially as someone, as a spiritually mature and admired Christian like Charles Spurgeon. Because the Bible says we're, we're united to Christ and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So just how can we get spiritually depressed? And maybe even a weightier question, we ask, why does God let us? get spiritually depressed. Well, this morning we're going to see how God's Word addresses this question and will not take take long for us to read Psalm 42 and quickly see that, yes, not only do Christians experience spiritual depression, but God also offers us a hope in the midst of that spiritual depression. And that first reminder is this, that He works all things for us to commune with Him more deeply. We know that's true. We know Romans 8 is true, that he works all things for the good of those that love God. And by communion, I mean fellowship with God, being with him, close to him, united to Christ, enjoying the joy of knowing you're a son or a daughter of God. And as God's people that have been saved by Christ, he works all those things in our life, from something so insignificant as stubbing our toe to getting a cold to terminal illness for our good. In Christ. And what is that greatest good? It is that communion with God. To be known by God, to know Him, to be filled with His Spirit, to be adopted by our Father, and to experience all the joys that that entails. That is the highest joy a human can experience, as CJ reminded us last Sunday. And God works all things in our life for us to experience more of that. So, Psalm 42 presses this truth even further out into all dimensions of our life, including 
spiritual depression. Reminding us that because God is true to his word, that he is working all those things for us to commune with him more deeply, he is doing that even in the midst of our spiritual depression when we don't feel like we're communing with him deeply. If he's working all those things, we can trust that even in a spiritual depression like Psalm 42 describes, he is there and he is working to bring us into deeper fellowship with him. I believe Psalm 42 shows us three specific ways God does this, the way he uses this spiritual depression in our lives. And each of these three ways, they build on each other until they reach a beautiful peak in the third and final way. So follow with me as we go through Psalm 42 and we see these three ways God works. And I'll I'll read Psalm 42 together and then we'll pray. So let's stand again, can we, for the reading of God's word here in Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts of songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon. From Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Well, at the first reading, you may be seated, I apologize. The first reading of Psalm 42, uh, we quickly see that the psalmist is experiencing what we have described as spiritual depression. He feels distance from God. He longs for God's presence. In verse 2, notice what he says. When shall I come and appear before God? In verse 3, he's so depressed that he says, My tears have been my food day and night. He's in such spiritual despair that he is in literal tears. Not only that, but notice in verse 3 that others are now starting to mock him by asking, Where is your God? In verse 3, he's so depressed that and lost that he asks his own soul, Why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil within me? Then in verse 3, he describes his horrible depression as feeling as if God himself is throwing him into the sea and covering him with waves that he cannot escape. But he continues on in verse 9. He feels so distant from God that he even says, God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? This feeling of abandonment from God and ridicule from others that the psalmist is experiencing is so extreme that he finishes in verse 10 with a deadly wound is in my bones. My adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, again, where is your God? Well, now that quote from Charles Spurgeon that I read earlier that seemed horrible at first reading 
Psalm 42 has taken that and grabbed us and plunged us into the depths of what spiritual depression looks like. If you're slowing down and truly visualizing this and putting yourself in this psalm, you cannot help but feel a sense of the psalmist here. But not only does God give us a picture of what spiritual depression looks like in Psalm 42, but he graciously blesses us with an example of how to respond. The psalmist is not sinning by expressing to God his incredible experience of spiritual depression. In fact, it is by the psalmist fully understanding the reality of what he is experiencing do we see the first way that God uses spiritual depression to bring us into deeper communion with him. We first see that the psalmist takes his feelings of being distant from God and he lets it lead him to this, that he deserves spiritual desertion. I believe that's the first way we see God work, that he uses spiritual depression to show us that we deserve spiritual desertion. In the midst of his spiritual despair, the psalmist remembers that he deserves to be separated from God. He feels as if he is but he realizes, no, this is what I deserve. Look at how throughout the psalm he reminds himself of God's grace toward him in saving him. He's essentially preaching the gospel to himself. In verse 4 he says that God is his God and his salvation. He's confessing that God is his only source of righteousness and that if God had not been gracious to him, he would be lost and cut off from him. The notice in verse 6 how he remembers how God has graciously saved his people in the past. He says, Therefore, I remember the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mazar. These were moments in the history of Israel that God had powerfully saved his people despite their weakness and their sin and how they enjoyed the blessing of communion with him. Then notice in verse 8, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So in the midst of his feeling of spiritual separation from God, he is reminding himself every day that God is pouring his love onto him, that he deserves to have the wrath of God poured out on him, but he's reminding himself that now all he knows from God is love, even if he is not experiencing it, the communion of that in this moment. But in all these verses, the psalmist is experiencing that he deserves that spiritual desertion. And to get a picture of this in our head, Put yourself in an imaginary scenario that you are a prisoner in jail for a list of horrible crimes. Okay? Put yourself here. And this is a crime and a sentence that's so bad that it's one that the judge, you know, really makes a statement and says, oh, the sentence is 387 years. You're not getting out, okay? So you're in prison, okay? Okay, you're in prison and you're, you deserve this, okay? You did horrible things. But let's just imagine in this make-believe scenario that God somehow in the legal system and the prison system miraculously works a miracle to set you free from this. But after you get out of prison and try to go back to, to normal life, you, you still have uh, these horrible nightmares where you imagine you're back in prison. And it feels so real and so horrible, you wake up and it takes you a few minutes to realize, oh, I'm not in prison anymore, I, I've been set free. Now, maybe a, a silly illustration to think about because none of you here are sitting in prison, but just imagine this with me. If you were in that situation, you had these nightmares where you were fearing that you were back in the situation you were in, what is the proper response? Well, the proper response would be to, to let those uh, nightmares remind you of what you deserve. You wake up and you're filled with praise and gratefulness that I, I deserve to still be in there. 
I deserve the feeling, the horrible feelings I have right now. I deserve that. But God has been gracious to me and set me free. In this imaginary situation of being this prisoner, we can see that in a similar yet different and more real way, this is how God uses spiritual depression to remind us that we deserve spiritual desertion. We, we had sinned against God, but the horrible natures of our crimes was not just simply in what we had done, but who we had done it against. God himself. And not only that, but we were in the bondage of sin. We were in a spiritual prison, but God did not leave us without experiencing the communion of him and pouring out his wrath on us. Instead, he poured out his love on us and set us free. He schemed an elaborate and gracious plan to set us free by sending his son to die in our place and take the wrath we deserved. So now, when we go through a time of spiritual depression and it feels as if we are far from God, He wants us to not ignore that feeling, but let it lead us to remember that while it feels as if we are forgotten by God and distant from Him, we know that that is not reality anymore. We know that we truly deserve to have that reality for all eternity of being cursed by God, being punished by Him, and apart from the communion of the joy of being in His presence. That's what we deserve. But while that's what we deserve, if we are in Christ, God uses this spiritual desertion to remind us that we are His son, we are His daughter. The reality is that we will never experience true spiritual desertion because God has already forgiven us in His son. This is, this is the truth, friends, that we only recognize the joy of communion with God when we realize that we did absolutely nothing to deserve it. In fact, we not only had done nothing to deserve it, we did the opposite. We deserved to get wrath instead of communion, but we still received grace from God. So when we experience this spiritual depression, we need to slow down and do what the psalmist does here and fully explore what we are feeling, but then let it drive us to remember that what it feels like we're experiencing is what we deserve for all eternity, but then to turn around and praise God that what I'm feeling now is not reality, and God is using it to remind me that I don't get separation from God. I get communion with him because of Christ. This leads us to the second way that God uses this spiritual depression in our life to bring us into closer communion with him. But not only does he remind us that we deserve spiritual desertion, but he uses spiritual depression to do this, to remind us that he has given us a new heart that now thirsts for him and is only satisfied when we commune with him. So not only does he not give us what we deserve, but he gives us a heart that now thirsts for him. And look at how the psalmist in Psalm 42 models this for us. In the midst of his spiritual depression, we see that there is still hope in the fact that he is spiritually depressed. Now, isn't that a strange thing to say? But, but think about it. The fact that you can even get spiritually depressed is living proof that you know what spiritual happiness in life is. The psalmist has been given a taste of the sweetness of communion with God. And so when he doesn't feel like he's experiencing it, it bothers him. I wonder if possibly you're here today and if you consider yourself to be a professing non-believer. Have you ever wondered, if you have Christian friends, why do they, why do they get so upset when they're not where they feel like they should be spiritually? I mean, it's not, I mean, they just consume themselves with this constant battle. That just seems like a horrible way to live. Or I wonder if some of you are here today and you're a professing believer. 
but you're hearing this talk about being bothered that you're spiritually depressed and you stop to tell yourself, I don't know if I've ever been bothered by that before. Well, then, friends, the situation may be that you have not received spiritual life yet. If you haven't, maybe you need to see Christ here in Psalm 42 because the miracle is this, that if we are in Christ, He has performed this miracle in us. It's a miracle of a new heart that now only thirsts for God and finds satisfaction in Him alone. A miracle of open eyes to see Christ as supremely beautiful and more precious than anything else. And for us as Christians, it means that in the midst of spiritual depression, God's reminding us of the heart He has given us. See this gracious reality in Psalm 42. In in verses 1 and 2, the psalmist cries out, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. Look at how much his heart desires and thirsts for God. Even in the midst of this depression, we see this feeling of thirsting after God in Psalm 42 is picked up in the New Testament too. You may be thinking of John 7. Or we see Christ reveals that he is the true satisfaction of the thirst of the human soul. He is the bringer of that soul-satisfying water that he would use to quench the souls and the thirst of his people. In John 7, Jesus is at the Feast of Booze, a Jewish feast that God commanded Israel to keep so they would remember how God had saved them out of Israel, I mean, out of Egypt. And John 7 says this, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Can you see this happening, this scene here? The people of Israel are at this feast, remembering how God has saved them out of slavery and the desert of Egypt. But Jesus stands up and says that even though you're celebrating being freed from the slavery of Egypt, you still have not had your thirst quenched by God. Because you've not yet truly experienced communion with Him, but I'm here to tell you that if you come to me, you will experience that communion and your thirst will be quenched because I will bring the Holy Spirit to pour into your hearts living water. Friend, if you are in Christ and you feel spiritually distant from God, the very fact that you recognize this and are bothered by it is a testament to how Christ has done what John 7 says. He's poured the thirst-quenching blessing of the Holy Spirit into your heart. He has changed your heart so that now your heart only desires and thirsts for God alone. And notice this, that God is so gracious to give us this blessing because He could have left us in the miserable state of groping after anything that would give us some sense of spiritual quench, to quench that thirst. But He doesn't leave us in that condition and let us go after other things. Instead, He changes our heart so that now the only thing that will quench that thirst is Christ Himself. Isn't this what Jesus promised, though, in the Sermon on the Mount? There he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What precious hope that is, friends, that even in the midst of your spiritual depression, our Savior has promised us that if we thirst for him, even if we don't feel it now, we will be satisfied. If we go back to Psalm 42 now, In verse 4, we see 
more ways God uses spiritual depression to remind us of this new heart he has given us that thirst for him alone. In verse 4, the psalmist remembers how in times past God had blessed him by letting him worship together with God's people and experience joy and gladness through it. Just like God is giving us that blessing this morning. Then notice in verse 8, the psalmist remembers how at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And this is true for us, church, that when we feel far from the Lord and don't know how to pray and respond, the Holy Spirit is praying for us in our weakness, even the weakness of spiritual depression. A similar verse in Psalm 16 says this, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night also my heart instructs me. That's what the psalmist is experiencing here. That even when he feels like his soul is in darkness, he knows God is still leading him back to communion with him. Back in Psalm 42, notice verse 11. We see the phrase that the psalmist repeats from verse 5. Again, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This verse is similar to another Old Testament passage in Lamentations 3, a passage that gives us even a deeper look into what it means to hope in God. This is so beautiful. Listen to these words. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. And then notice this last line, friends. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So maybe now we're seeing part of the answer to the question, why does God let us experience this spiritual depression? Because it is good for our soul to wait on the Lord. Because in spiritual depression, God brings us down to the end of ourselves so that we remember that salvation is in Him alone. And this is the paradox of the Christian life, friends, that it is when we are at our lowest that we see the heights of the love of Christ. He may let us experience spiritual depression for a time, but he is using it to remind us just how precious he is. I don't think it's a coincidence that God helps us understand this idea by giving us the picture of water to quench our thirst. I mean, we are blessed in where we live is with with water available to us readily, so um, we don't typically experience true thirst on a daily basis, do we? But maybe you can think of times in your life when you have gotten dehydrated and you really truly were thirsty. When I was thinking about this this image, um, I tried to think of times in my life where I felt this way and I truly was desperate for water and there was only one time that really stuck out. It was the time when I tried to go on a 50 mile bike ride uh, with my best friend from high school a few years ago uh, with one bottle of water uh, at the end of May uh, and through in North Alabama through countless hills Uh, And to say the least, it didn't take long until we were uh, miserable. And uh, what I remember about that moment is uh, when reality of thirst truly set in, uh, was on the way back. 
okay? So we're, we're midway through a 50-mile-hour bike with no biking experience, by the way. Um, and during this specific moment, we're climbing up one of the many hills, and I was so dehydrated that my legs had been cramping already all before that, but I was so dehydrated that the only way I could make it up the hill was just simply just using my body weight to throw down the pedal, but then letting my leg cramp up so that it would lift up and the pedal would flip up and I could press it down again. It, it, it was horrible. It really was. We made it to the top of the hill, and then without even saying anything to each other, we both just knew we had to get to water as soon as we could. So without even speaking to one another, we glanced to the side of the road, and we saw a house uh, with a, a, a garden hose laid out in the front yard, and it was just like a gift. And we, without knocking on the door and asking them anything, we simply just crawled into the front yard and turned the water hose on, and thank goodness they weren't home or either they saw us, <laughs> and they thought they felt so bad for us they just didn't say anything, but we drank what to this day was the best tasting water I'd ever tasted in my life. Now, why, why bother to tell a silly story like that or ask you to think of a time that you experienced true thirst? Well, because sometimes we get so used to something that is so precious and so essential for life, like water, that we forget how much we truly need it and how good it really is. And God has designed our bodies to teach us that, hasn't it? I mean, we were only a few hours into this process, and we were already experiencing the headaches and the cramps and the misery. But, I mean, if you keep going, right, your body starts shutting down. There's stages of this dehydration, and our body is telling us, reminding us, hey, you need this. But you see, these bodily stages of the dehydration, they are a blessing, right, aren't they? Because how cruel our body would be if it didn't tell us that we were thirsty. We just had to guess. But no, it's a blessing to experience this dehydration because then you can go to a faucet and drink. But in a a more serious way, friends, Psalm 42 shows us that spiritual depression is a blessing because in the experience of feeling distant from God, we feel our soul reminding us that we have a new heart that will not be satisfied until we commune with him. So then we can go back to Christ and we can drink. Friends, that's how God has designed our souls. In Christ, he's given us a a new soul that now when we're spiritually depressed, he desires us to respond this way. When you're physically dehydrated, you you know the wrong response is simply to ignore it. That that doesn't work. That doesn't change the fact that you're human and 60% of you is water. And getting angry at your body that it requires water is also the wrong response because you're simply getting angry at the God who made you and the fact that you need something. So when we are spiritually depressed and we feel distant from God, do we simply ignore it? And unfortunately, that's my response a lot of times when I feel spiritually depressed and disconnected. I simply want to uh, numb my mind and numb my soul with something else to distract me from what I'm feeling. Or maybe some of you get bitter and angry at the world or angry at God because he's letting you feel this way when... We do this. We are simply getting angry at God because he's made 100% of us to survive off him. But friends, those are the wrong responses because they all miss the reason for what God is doing in our spiritual depression. But instead, when we're spiritually depressed, God desires for us to let the lowness remind us that we are experiencing a sign of that new heart, 
of the new life in Christ. We're spiritually depressed because we're not experiencing that active communion with God. But God is blessing us by making us aware of this. In the same way that your body would be evil if it didn't let you know you were dehydrated, how cruel and uh, how cruel and unfaithful to his promise God would be if he says, I'll always be with you, but then he doesn't tell us when we really need him. He is blessing us by reminding us that we need him. God is not evil to us. He doesn't leave us in our spiritual depression. We know that's what we deserve. But once he's made the promise that in Christ he'll never leave us, he doesn't go back on that. Instead, he lets us feel that spiritual depression so we remember that we need him. So, friend, when you feel this way, press into the fact that he has given you this thirst. He wants this spiritual depression to lead you to press more and more into him. And this leads us into the third and final way Psalm 42 shows us how God works in our spiritual depression to lead us into this deeper communion with him. And that third and final way is this, that God uses spiritual depression to teach us to search the wounds of Christ more deeply. He uses spiritual depression to teach us to search the wounds of Christ more deeply. Friends, this is, this is the reason we don't get the spiritual desertion we deserve. This is the reason we have the new heart that we see in Psalm 42 that is only satisfied with God alone because Christ was wounded for us so that we could know communion with God. We know there are some psalms that are called messianic psalms because they more explicitly anticipate Christ, but because we know 2 Corinthians 1 is true, that all the promises of God find their yes in Christ, and that Luke 24 is true, how on the road to Emmaus Christ interpreted to the two disciples in all the scripture the things concerning himself, we should not be surprised to see Christ in Psalm 42 even if he's not explicitly mentioned. The truth is is that whenever we see any suffering described in the Psalms, we know it's just a small picture of the suffering Christ endured for us. We know Hebrews 4.12 is true, that we, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Christ sympathizes with us in our weakness and spiritual depression because he experienced it to the full. Look with me at verse 3 where the psalmist says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? This calls to mind two experiences of Christ we see in the New Testament. First, we remember where Jesus' tears were literally his food when he went to the cross. Luke 22 tells us that in the garden before his uh, crucifixion, Jesus says, it says of Jesus, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like drops of great blood falling down to the ground. Friend, the path to the cross was one filled with tears and suffering for Christ. I mean, can we ever fully imagine this suffering, this spiritual torment Christ was going through? But we also know what Jesus told us in John 4, that he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Isn't this incredible that Christ's food, what he desired was to do the Father's will, to die on the cross for his people? 
But that will included tears of suffering, friends. But those tears were His food. Church, when you are spiritually depressed, remember that your tears, because of Christ, are now kept in bottles by God. Because Christ's tears were truly His food, day and night. Tears shed for us. He experienced all the horror of the wrath of God that led him to tears so that one day he could wipe every tear from our eyes when we were with him. Back in Psalm 42, we see in verse 4 where the psalmist says that he is pouring out his soul. He's crying out to God so much that he feels like his own soul is being poured out. But while the psalmist and you may feel as if your own soul is being poured out. You're so desperate for God. We must remember Christ in this moment, friends. Isaiah 53 says that in the anguish of his soul, Christ poured out his soul to death. For what reason? To be numbered with sinners. Do you remember Christ's words on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friends, when you experience spiritual depression, let the feelings that seem so real to you in the moment lead you to think about Christ, whose soul was truly poured out when he experienced the true forsakenness of God to die in our place so that we would never have to experience it. In verse 5, we see the psalmist say, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? But here again, we remember Christ who in Matthew 26 told his disciples before his crucifixion, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And in a parallel passage in John 12, he says this, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Church, when you feel your soul is cast down and in turmoil within you, let it remind you of Christ who experienced the worst sorrow imaginable, that his soul was crushed with grief to the point of death. But he did not stop what was happening. He desired to fulfill his purpose on this earth, to experience sorrow leading to death so that you would never have to truly experience it again. And that so now all you know is communion with God. Back in Psalm 42 in verse 7, we see Christ again when the psalmist says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Another translation says it this way. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. The psalmist felt so spiritually depressed that he felt that it was as if God himself was crushing him and covering him with a sea. He was drowning spiritually. And it was God that threw him in the sea. But church, when our soul feels this way, as if we're drowning in a sea that God himself is throwing us into, we remember Christ again, who truly and spiritually experienced what Jonah said he felt in the belly of the fish. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And just as Jonah was cast out to save the rest of the crew, to be buried by the waves and the sea, 
Christ was cast away from the communion with his Father to endure the flood of God's wrath so that we, the ones that had sinned against him, would be spared. It's what Psalm 75 describes as this, the wrath of God. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup filled with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it on all the wicked of the earth, and they shall drain it down to the dregs. This is what Christ did for us, church. He took the flood of God's wrath, the cup of wrath we deserve for our sin against him, and he drank it to the bottom. That phrase, drink it to the dregs, literally means to the bottom of the cup. There is none left for you, friends. There is no wrath for you, friends. There is only the blessing of communion with God. He took the flood of God's wrath for us. Returning again to Psalm 42 and verse 9, we see the psalmist cry out to God, asking him why he has forgotten him. Why is God allowing him to go mourning because of the oppression of his enemies? He was experiencing such spiritual depression that it felt as if God had forgotten him and was leaving him hung out to be attacked by his enemies. But friends, even though we may feel this way sometimes, we know that there's only one man that has truly experienced this. Only one man truly felt like what it was to be left out to dry For God not to come to his rescue. Instead, for his father to will to crush him on the cross. To be left exposed to the enemies of God. But this time, unlike us, the man had done nothing to deserve it. We remember where scripture describes Christ's sufferings on the cross. What it felt like to bear the wrath of God in the attacks of his enemies. The scriptures say in the gospels, Then the soldiers of the governor, took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. Just imagine this. And they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? They said many other things against him, blaspheming him. In the same way, the chief priest also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Doesn't that sound familiar in Psalm 42? Friends, in that moment, if Christ stops the proceedings of the justice of God being poured out on him that he did not deserve, if he opens his mouth to stop the mocking and the beating, we would never know the blessing of communion with God. He underwent all of this so we could be cleansed of our sin and have communion with him. All of this suffering was for us. And Psalm 22 points forward to Christ's suffering on the cross for us. Where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. 
by night, but I find no rest. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads saying, He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Friends, when you feel as if Christ has forgotten you and is not coming to your help, and the enemies of God are attacking you, either physical human enemies or spiritual enemies led by Satan, remember that the Christ you feel like has left you already went through what you deserve so that you would never truly have to experience it. So that you would never have to experience what it was like to be truly forsaken by God. He underwent this suffering and trusted in his father who raised him from the grave three days later so that we would never truly experience it. But continuing in Psalm 42 in verse 10, we see the psalmist describe his horrible spiritual depression as a deadly wound in my bones. Friends, again, when you feel so spiritually depressed that it feels as if you've been wounded deep within your soul, remember your Savior Christ, who was truly wounded by His Father. Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace And with his wounds, we are healed. Friends, it is only because the wounds of Christ for us that we get to experience communion with God. So when we feel like we're not experiencing it and we are spiritually depressed, we search his wounds more deeply. The psalmist ends in verse 11 with the cry repeated for the second time, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? There's no doubt many, not all of us here, have felt this level of despair and pain in our soul. Some of you may be currently. But church, when your soul feels this way, when you feel your soul is completely depressed and in this turmoil, remember Christ who truly experienced the most real spiritual anguish that we can imagine so that we would never know it and that we would thirst for communion with God alone. That's why Isaiah 53 continues to say that out of the anguish of his soul, Christ, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Christ went through this anguish so that we may be counted righteous in God's sight, so that we would never experience the wrath of God. So in the midst of any spiritual anguish we experience, God gives us the blessing of remembering 
the wounds of Christ for us. One final place we see Christ's love for us in Psalm 42 is in verse 4. Look at it again with me and see how these words truly do apply to Christ. Verse 4 says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Church, we have the blessing of the New Testament to remind us that as Christ was pouring out his soul on the cross, taking the wrath of God for us, the Hebrews tells us it was his joy to undertake it. He counted it his joy to glorify his Father by dying for worms like us. While he was on the cross, he remembered how after his death and resurrection and return for his people, he would lead them to the house of God at the new heavens and the new earth with gladness and shouts of praise. He died so that he could make revelation a reality that says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Friends, this is the final and greatest blessing reserved for us in Christ. While we may go through spiritual depression now and not live in the constant experience of active communion with God, we know that one day what we long to experience will come true. So when you feel spiritually depressed and far from God, remember how Isaiah 33 says that those saved by Christ, this is what they will look forward to. Your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. They will see a land that stretches afar. Christ is working all things for us, friends, if we're in him, to one day behold him in his beauty and dwell with him in his kingdom. That's what we can trust, friends. That no matter what the cause or the severity of our spiritual depression, we know is God is working it to bring us to the point where we can see more deeply Christ's wounds for us so that one day we'll stand in the presence of the King and see the beauty and the glory of Him forever. Friends, there's no need for a verbal illustration at this point because Christ has given us a visual illustration of this, a sign and symbol to bless us and bring us to remember the beauty of His wounds for us. This is what the Lord's Supper is for, church. This is the answer that Christ gives us when we feel that we're in spiritual desertion because in the Lord's Supper, we stop to meditate on his wounds for us. We remember what Christ said in Matthew 26 when they took the, the, him and his disciples took the Last Supper together. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink of it. All of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of it again until that day when I drink it new with you in the kingdom of my Father. This is the blessing for us in the midst of our spiritual depression, church, that he invites us to remember Christ and his wounds for us. You remember the quote I read at the beginning from Charles Spurgeon? where he talked about his spiritual depression. Well, I only shared part of the quote. Here's the full quote. 
I am the subject of depression so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to the extremes of wretchedness as I go to. But I always get back again by this. I know that I trust Christ. I have no reliance but in Him. And if He falls, I shall fall with Him. But if He does not, I shall not. Because He lives, I live also. And I spring to my legs again and fight with my depressions of spirit and get the victory through it. And so may you do. And so you must. There is no other way of escaping it. Church, Christ is our comfort. No matter the degree of spiritual depression we experience, He calls us to remember Him. To remember the one who experienced this ultimate suffering so we could have communion with God and know the joy of this. So when we feel spiritually thirsty, when we feel far from the Lord, we think of Christ. He experienced the opposite of communion with God on the cross so that He could one day call us and call us with the heart that He had given us of the spiritual thirst and He holds out His body and His blood to us and says, drink it so you may never thirst again. Friends, that's what this Lord's Supper, Supper symbolizes, that we spiritually feed on Christ's body and His blood. That is the way we commune with Him. So when we take this Lord's Supper, this, this symbol of His body and His blood, we remember, of his, he, we remember His wounds for us. And it's in meditating on and beholding His wounds that we are lifted up out of this spiritual depression. Will you pray with me that even if we feel spiritually depressed right now, we will remember how Christ's wounds lead even those of us that may be doubting back to Him. That we'll respond in amazement like Thomas did when he, his doubts were removed the day he saw Christ's wounds. Like the scripture says, Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not believe, disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the same promise held out to us, friends. We may not have physically seen Christ's wounds, but Christ says that those are blessed that believe in Him, but have not seen. Because those that believe will one day see the King that was pierced for their sins in all His beauty. Let's pray. Lord, we... We just stand in total reverence and awe of your grace toward us, God. Please remind us of this as we take the Lord's Supper, Lord, that what we are partaking in is something of pure grace and mercy. That the wounds of Christ for us would be precious to us, Lord. That you would give us this thirst. That when we are spiritually depressed, we would long to search the wounds of Christ more deeply to remember what he has blessed us with in spite of our sin against him. Christ's name we pray. Amen.